So I want to share with y'all a, uh, a fairy tale that Tim Keller shares in one of his books. And you may have heard this uh, fairy tale before, but it's, it's an interesting one. Um, he says there's a, a, it was about an, a, a wicked old witch who lived in a remote cottage um, in the deep forest. And when travelers would come by looking for somewhere to stay, she would offer them lodging. And she would give them, obviously, a meal, a great meal, and a bed. And it was the most wonderfully comfortable bed in the whole world. And they had never felt a bed like this in the whole world. And when, uh, but this bed also had uh, a little catch to it. It had deep magic. And if you were asleep in it, when the sun came up, you would turn to stone. And then you would become a figure in the witch's statuary. Does anybody know what a statuary is? I had to look that up. A statuary is when you have a whole bunch of statues, you know. Some people put them in. Sometimes they're little, sometimes they're big. Uh, and you would be trapped till the end of time. But the witch forced a young girl to serve her. And um, this girl had no power to resist the witch. But the girl had become more and more filled with pity for the victims who would come into the forest and eat this wonderful meal and then get in this comfortable bed not to wake up to become part of her statuary. So one day a young man came looking for a place to stay and uh, was taken in. And the servant girl could not bear to see this young man be turned into stone. So she threw sticks, she threw stones, she threw um, uh, thistles into his bed and made the bed horribly uncomfortable all night. And when he would roll over and hit one of these, he'd, he'd pick it out and throw it out on the floor. And she'd throw something else in there and it just would keep him uncomfortable all night. And... Uh, he slept only fitfully and rose feeling, as you can imagine, very much unrested. And he was worn and he got up way before dawn and started to leave. And as he walked out the front door, the servant girl met him and he berated her cruelly. He says, how could you give a traveler such a terrible bed full of sticks and stones and thistles like that? And he, he, he went on his way and ah, she said under her breath. The misery you know now is nothing like the infinite, infinitely great misery a comfortable sleep would have brought upon you. Those were my sticks and stones of love. Now, it's just a fairy tale, but I believe John is saying to the first century Christians and to us through his letter, he's saying, hey, we can get very comfortable with the world that's around us, and we can kind of want to blend in and just be a part of them, but we need to be aware that the world sometimes is very deceptive and can lead us into places and to, into doing things that can be very destructive, and you need to know that and not get too comfortable with it. So that's where we're going to uh, go today. For the, for the last uh, week or so, I've been sharing with you from the letter of First John, and John, as, as I've mentioned, was one of Jesus' closest disciples, and he and the other disciples followed through with what Jesus commissioned them to do, and that was to go. Go into Jerusalem, into Samaria, into Judea, into all of the world, and make disciples, and that's what they did. And as part of this process, John was inspired by the Holy Spirit to, as I've mentioned again, to write a gospel account of Jesus' life, which we know is the gospel of John, that included his teachings, his miracles, his crucifixion, his resurrection. And this is known as the Gospel of John. And in this writing, he laid the foundation of who Jesus was, what Jesus said, and what Jesus calls us to be as his followers um, to do and to be in this world. In John's own word, from the end of his Gospel, he writes this concerning why he actually wrote this Gospel. Listen to what he says. He said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. 
But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. This is what John's saying. This is why I wrote my gospel, so that you may know that Jesus really is the Messiah, the Son of God, that you really may know that He is who He said He was. And by believing on Him, you shall have what? You have life in His name. I don't want you just to know about Him. I don't want you just to believe in Him. I want you to have the life that God always wanted you to have, and you only can have that in Christ. So as He and the other disciples acted on what Jesus had called them to do and make disciples, it was inevitable that they ran into cultural issues along the way that they had to address in their churches and those people that they were teaching and trying to bring to Christ. And uh, so his letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, are to address some of these cultural issues that are going on in that first century. But there's certainly things that we can learn even here in the 21st century. John was very passionate about what Jesus had called him to do in a, uh, in, as a leader in discipling others. He took that very, very seriously, helping to mature them into relationship with Jesus. And he called them little children, as we've seen in the last couple of weeks. He called them little children because John's probably in his 80s or 90s. And he's saying that because I'm an older, wiser man who's been there. I've not only uh, been an eyewitness to what Jesus did and was one of his disciples, but I've been all over the world discipling people, starting churches, and seeing things that God has revealed to me through the Holy Spirit. And I want to share that with you as little children. You need to know this stuff from one who has more experience and has is willing to share that with you. So that was not unusual in that culture for an older teacher to call those he was teaching little children. So that's what he calls them. But on the other hand, those within the culture, there were those within the culture who were promoting false doctrine, false teaching about who Jesus really was and what Jesus had called them to be and to do. And John called them not little children, but children of the devil. Now, if you remember when Jesus, when, um, when John was younger and was uh, first called by Jesus... His brother and him and James were known as the sons of, does anybody know? Zebedee, but also the sons of thunder, okay? And the reason was, is man, those guys could get fired up and passionate about something, and they would just blast people. That's why they were called the sons of thunder. And one time they were, they were speaking to a group of people that rejected what they were saying, and they were so mad, they said, Jesus, do you want us to call down hellfire and damnation on these people? And Jesus was like, whoa, whoa, easy there, fellas. No, you know, yes, they rejected you, but they've rejected me too. But we're not going to just call down hellfire and brimstone on them just now. But that's where they got that. So there's a part of that that's still, that fire that's still in John, even at 90 years old. Those who are, you know, saying things about Jesus that aren't true, that are deceiving people and teaching them the wrong things, they're children of the devil. Now, where would he get that kind of thought process? Well, when he wrote his own gospel... He remembers and wrote this account of Jesus arguing or having a confrontation with the religious leaders. And this is what Jesus said to them. He says, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Jesus is talking to the, the highest religious leaders of the day, and this is what he's saying to them. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Man. So John is saying, I remember when Jesus said that. 
And I was blown away, but it was very clear to him, and he wrote this down. Now, some 30 or 40 years later, he's still saying, hey, you've got to be aware. Don't get too comfortable. There's people out there that are trying to lead you astray. So John was committed to teaching that Jesus' followers should be this loving and vibrant community that we talked about um, in his first uh, chapter there. You know, We're supposed to walk in the light as he is in the light. We're supposed to bring the love, love our brother. If we, We've got to be able to love our brother, not just say we do, but actually do that in action. So we need to walk in the light, and people need to see our actions are clear with who that we're followers of Jesus. And, uh, but he says also we want to have a loving and vibrant community, but it's also foundationally important that you know the truth about who Jesus is and what he calls us to be and to do and how to live that out. That's so important. So John saw in his culture, and I think we see in our culture, the result of unethical and destructive behavior when there is deceptive and false teaching about who Jesus is within communities and what his word really says. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I'm seeing this in our culture now. When we are confused about who Jesus really is and what he has really taught, then there's a confusion about how we should live. And when there's confusion about how we live, then we just are going to do it however we think is best. And when we do that, there's this unethical, this destructive behavior that comes in. And it has just can destroy our communities. And so John is very concerned about what is happening, and that's why he's teaching this. And so we've seen in the first two weeks, John makes a striking contrast between you've either walking in the light or you're walking in the darkness. When you're walking in the light, it illuminates clearly who Jesus is, the Son of God. And it illuminates clearly what His expectations for my life and your life are to walk as He walked, as John talked about last week. But if you're walking in the darkness, it hides, it conceals the truth, and it sidesteps any personal accountability to Jesus' clear commands and teachings. That's walking in the darkness. That's not where you need to be. You need to be walking in the light. So we want to look at some more of John's first letter and how we might use that teaching in our own church and in our own life. So I'm going to read 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. I think we're going to have that on the screen. There it is. Thank you all. Listen to what he said. This first part is kind of an introductory, uh, introductory encouragement to them. And it's going to seem a little interesting, but listen carefully what he says. I'm writing to you, dear children, there's that term of endearment again, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And then in this next part, it's like he repeats the same thing, almost exact. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. He says this twice to, very, to, to emphasize what he's trying to say to them, reminding them of something very, very important. So he says it twice. And then he says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So I want to kind of unpack this a little bit, but that first part seems to be a reminder to this diverse community. There's Jews in this community um, who have been seeped in, uh, steeped in uh, Judaism their whole lives, have a lot of faith in that. Then there's Gentiles who are coming from all kind of different faith backgrounds, and they've all come together to say, hey, we want to 
We want to get rid of all that old and we want to come to this new understanding of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and we want to follow after Him. But there's things going on in their community and in their culture that they're having to contend with. So he says, I'm writing to you young and old, Jews and Gentiles, male and female, slave and free, all the different backgrounds. He goes, listen to me carefully. And I think this first group he addresses is he says, little children. As far as everybody I'm talking to in the church, y'all are like little children to me because I'm older and wiser. I've had this experience. I've been with Jesus. I've, I've, I've started these churches, and I've been teaching this for a long time, but I want you to understand it. So maybe he's talking to the community as a whole, and I think that's who he's talking about. Remember who you are, he's saying. You ever had a parent say that to you when you get ready to go off to camp, when you get ready to go off to school? Remember who you are. You're a Kingston. Remember who you are, you know? You ever had somebody say that to you? Or maybe you've had a coach say that to you, you know, right before the game. Remember who y'all are. You know, we're the Titans, whatever, you know? You remember those things. Yeah, we, we've come to this point. Remember what we've planned for. And that's what he's saying. Remember who you are. You are a child of God. Remember who he is, your heavenly father. He is your father who knows you. And you've come to know him and trust him. And through his power, through his grace, through his mercy... The sin that once separated you from Him has brought you back together with Him. And you have overcome that through His grace and mercy. Don't forget that, little children. You need to be reminded of that. So the first group is little children, is the whole church. And then he says, fathers. Well, who is this? Is he specifically talking to just the fathers in this church or in this group that he's writing to? I think he's really talking about maybe those in the church who are older, more experienced in their faith, that have worshipped God a lot longer and are further along in maybe their spiritual walk. And he's saying to them, you know, you need to understand these things. Maybe they've practiced Judaism most of their life and have now come to know Christ. John is possibly referring to the Old Covenant. You've known the Old Covenant, but now you understand Jesus' new covenant that he's called us to, and he's connecting that. And he goes, you know him who is from the beginning. So he's saying, hey, some of you older people that have had your faith longer, you need to understand what I'm saying here, and you need to remember that, and you need to help the younger people. You've been more experienced. You need to understand um, uh, that they need your help along the way. You're further along in life than they are. You can backtrack with them and say, hey, I was there at one point, and let me tell you about what's going on in my life. Now, I remember when um, my wife, Melanie, we were having our first child, Carter, and we were, um, we were in Florida at the time, and we were at this church, and uh, she was talking to these ladies who had just recently had babies their own, and uh, they were telling her, oh my gosh, it's horrible. I was in labor for 36 hours, you know, and I'm like trying to drag her away. I say, don't listen to them, you know, and I take her to some older lady in the church who is a grandmother, and say, she just put her arm around me and said, oh honey, it's going to be fine. You'll be fine. It's a wonderful experience. You'll, it'll all come out okay. I'm like, listen to her, Okay. That's what, so maybe in that, you know, and that's just an example, but I think what John's saying here is say, hey, you older in the church, you have more experience, you need to understand that. The younger people are looking at you and saying, hey, it's like that song we just sang, God has still been faithful. There's some rough things in our culture. There's some rough things that are going on in our congregation, but we need to remember God is faithful through all of that. Don't forget that, and you need to be encouraging these young people. And I think John is also going back to his gospel where he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Remember that word, the beginning. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. From the very beginning, John says, Jesus was part of God's plan, the Messiah, the Son of God who was to come into the world and to save us. 
And so that's what he's trying to emphasize to them. And then he speaks to a third group who he calls young men. Again, who is this? I think it might be younger people in the church who are maybe younger in age or maybe they're just younger in their faith or in their spiritual walk at the time. But he reminds them that they have overcome the evil one through Christ. You need to understand that. They have this enthusiasm and that's an important part of the church. They, and he probably remembers when he was a, a young follower of Jesus and how Um, enthusiastic he was and maybe how much passion he had like let's call down fire and hell on those people and like whoa hold on a minute and now he's got some perspective and he can look back and say young people and their enthusiasm is so important and that's a lesson for us today as he's talking to this group that we have all different ages within this group right here today but all of us are valuable all of our stories matter to someone else in the church that we can say hey I want to hear your story how has God worked in your life I want to know how did you deal with this when you were up against this situation in your life and how did God help you through it? And we can have that perspective from different people. But we need the experience of the older ones and we need the enthusiasm of the younger ones as well. And I think that's what John is saying here. He said, but don't forget, he's encouraging him not. Satan has been defeated. He still has power in this world, but he does not have the power to overcome you because you are in Christ. Don't ever forget that. So this is a motivational letter in which he's trying to encourage them. He's trying to equip them and challenge them to stay true to what you know to be about Jesus. Jesus follows to stay the course. Don't allow what you're hearing in your culture. Don't allow what you're seeing in your culture to keep you from being who you are and what you need to be. And so the second part of our text today, he says this. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now John goes on from affirming those he's writing to, to this warning that they do not fall into what we might call spiritual duplicity. And what that means is to say, hey, I'm going to walk through and give the, uh, uh, the appearance by I'm going to sing the songs in church and I'm going to say the right things around the right people, but I really have this duplicity. My heart is really not with Christ. It's with the world. I want to please the world. I want to make the world happy. That's really where my heart and my soul are. And let me tell you something. I want you young people to listen to me. Our culture right now, there is a draw to the world to make everybody happy, to make everybody like us, to get as many likes as we can on all our, our social media. We want everybody, we don't want to speak up about anything because we don't want to make anybody mad. And um, I was talking in the first service um, that um, our hearts and our minds can be focused and possessed by the world and we don't even really recognize it. We say we're a follower of Jesus, but our minds and our hearts are possessed by the world because we want their approval and what they want. Now, you know, my, my kids come home from school and they ask me some hard questions sometimes. And I know where those questions are coming from. They know what they've been taught in this church. They know what they've been taught by Melanie and I's parents and even by some of y'all who have invested in my kids as, as youth leaders and as children in the children's ministry. But all of a sudden, there's somebody at school that they like a lot, that they're friends with, and they think about something completely differently than they do. And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa. Do I say that I disagree with that? Do I say that I have a different view than that? Because I don't want them to not like me anymore. I don't want them to be offended. I don't want them to think I'm this or that. So they just don't say anything. Then they come and go, well, well, maybe I like that person so much. They're so cool and they're so sweet and, and I like them. So what's wrong with that view? And we have these conversations and I say, y'all, 
You need to know what God's Word says so that you can look through those lens, that lens of God's Scripture. Who, what does Jesus say about this? Not necessarily what does Dad say about this or Mom or the church, but what did Jesus say about this issue? You need to know that because if you don't know that, you're going to be drifting off just kind of saying, well, I'm just going to kind of go with the clothes. We're going to become a chameleon and I'm just going to blend in wherever I am and you don't even really know what you believe. And I think that's what John is talking about. Be careful of this duplicity. But wait a minute. John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. But isn't he the same one that wrote John 3.16? And what does that say? For God so what? Love the world. What's wrong with John? Did he, did he change his theology? Has he lost his mind? Because he's 90, you know. No, if we really think about this, what is John saying? We must understand that when John uses the word world, which in the Greek is called cosmos, he either uses it to mean the world, cosmos, which God created. And when God created the world, what did he say it was, y'all? Good, thank you. God created the world and he said, it is good. That's exactly what it is. So we know the world is not evil, but he's also using this term world to mean he's talking about the world or worldview of sin in that culture, but it's still alive today, even in our culture, that's aggressively opposed to God and the truth of his word. Did you hear what I said? There is, a, there is a worldview that is aggressively opposed to God and the truth of His Word. Do y'all feel that in our culture? Absolutely. I hear it on the news today. I hear people saying, we're going to move out of your state because we're aggressively opposed to this certain view of life. Okay? I didn't know that I needed your opinion on that. I can think how I want to, but it's, that's, that's coming to a head, isn't it? It's coming to the head. We're going to move out of your state because we don't like the, what your state is saying about life. That's a scary thing. You go, oh, you're getting political, Craig. No, this is reality of how we view life. No matter what political view you have, we have to look at life and we have to look at what did God's word say about life. It's valuable. All life is valuable. And we need to understand that. So let's go back to what Jesus said For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This is a conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, didn't he? And Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was one of the top religious leaders. And he came to see Jesus and ask him about the truth. He had heard Jesus teach and he goes, Man, this guy's teaching the truth. I've never heard anybody teach like this. I want to know more. But he went at night, didn't he? I don't know why he went at night. Maybe he didn't want anybody to know because he was scared that they would go, What are you going to see that guy for? But he went and talked to Jesus, and this is what Jesus said to him. And we know that for God so loved the world, but the second part, listen to what John says. John remembers this, and he writes it in his gospel. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to what? To save the world through him. That tells us that the world needs to be saved. The world is not good in and of itself. We cannot be. We need to be saved, and that comes through Christ. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Listen to what John is telling us, exactly what Jesus said when he lived. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen what they have done and has been done in the sight of God. That's John saying, 
this light darkness thinking going, I'm writing you this letter some 30 or 40 years later, and I'm just telling you exactly what I heard from Jesus' mouth. There is light in this and darkness in the world, and you need to know which is which. And you need to get into the light, walk in the light. And he's saying that to a, a religious leader. And Nicodemus, I believe with all my heart, finally understood that. But what else did Jesus say about the world? He said, it's good. What good is it for somebody to gain the whole world, yet what forfeit their what? Their soul. You can gain all the world. You can make everybody in the world happy and have all the fame, but you can forfeit your soul. And Jesus also said, I have, not come, I have come into the world as light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Jesus does not want anybody to be confused. He doesn't want you to stay in the darkness. He wants to illuminate clearly who he is and what you need and what you need in life. And listen to what he said on one of his last times with his disciples before he went to the cross. Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, and he's talking about he's going to die and go back up into heaven eventually. The advocate will rise again and go up to heaven. The advocate will not come to you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. And we know from reading Acts that he does send the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about these three things. About sin, righteousness, and judgment. And I ask you today, is the world that's aggressively opposed to God's word, are they wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment? Yes, they are. And if you believe what the world says about those three things, you're listening to the wrong way. You're in darkness. And you need to know what God's word says. And this is what he says. He says about sin because people do not believe in me because he's the one that can take away. For God so loved the world that he came to save the world. I'm going to do something about sin. You can't do it on your own. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. But I will give you the advocate, the Holy Spirit. And now me and you can make you righteous. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has defeated sin and death forever. Satan still has power. He still has influence. But he cannot be clear. He cannot overpower you because of what Christ has done for us in his death and resurrection. And we need to know that truth. Therefore, we need to be clear. The created world itself, that's not bad. That's not evil. But there was then and there is now a world and a worldview of sin that is aggressively opposed to God and His Word. And I see that and I feel that. But this is what John is warning us about. And John gives us three characteristics of this world of sin and this worldview that is aggressively opposed to God. And I want to go through that real quickly if I could. The first, he says, is the lust of the flesh. You go, okay, the lust flesh thing is some kind of sexual awkward talk we're going to have, right? Well, lust of the flesh is not just sexual or sensual, but it is. You can fill in the blanks. But it's anything that draws us away from God. Anything that desires draw us away from God, make us want to hide from God, and make us want to not have fellowship with God anymore. When we desire those things, when we're drawn to those things that take us away from God, make us want to hide from God in shame, and make it impossible for us to have fellowship with Him, those are things... This is what, what John's talking about, the lust of the flesh. And those can be sexual, those can be sensual, they can be other things. And he mentions that, the lust of the eyes. You can also fill in the blanks. We see things with our eyes that are desirable and we lust for and we want to have those for ourselves. Now again, you might think sexually, but it's not just that. I can see a car, y'all, and I go, man, I lust for that car. I think about me driving that car, driving fast in that car, sitting in that seat. You ever had that, you know? And some of you ladies are like, what? okay. 
But y'all get on eBay, you get on uh, Amazon, and you look at stuff like shoes and purses and cute dresses for the kids and that kind of stuff, and you lust after that stuff. You think, what would I look like? What would our family look like in that? And all of a sudden, all day long, I'm thinking about that car. You're thinking about that pair of shoes. You're thinking about that dress. You're thinking about this. And you're at work, and you're doing what you're supposed to, but you can't wait till you get a break and get on there and order it on Amazon. That's the kind of things that John is talking about here. And it can be different things for different people. But we obsess over it. It gets in our mind and that's what we think about. And it causes us to maybe draw us away from God. Maybe even want to make us hide from God. Maybe even make it impossible for us to have fellowship with God because I'm consumed about these things that I want and I desire. You remember in the Garden of Eden, Eve saw that the fruit and... The writer of Genesis, Moses, says this. He says, Eve saw the fruit and it was what? Pleasing to her eye. Oh, that apple looks so good. I can't wait to just, I would just love, I know I'm not supposed to. I know he said not to, but gosh, that looks so good. The crunch of that apple, the sweetness, the juice running down my chin. That would be so awesome. And she finally succumbs to it. She didn't really believe what God said. She allowed Satan to go, he didn't really mean all that. Did God really say it? Well, he really did say that. But that's not what he meant. He, if you'll eat that, you'll be just like him. You can be God, and he doesn't want you to be that. It was opposed to God. It was forbidden, but she believed Satan's lie. God didn't really mean what he said. She believed she would gain a secret knowledge, and she did, but it wasn't the knowledge that she was supposed to have. And she ate, and her husband ate, and what did they do, y'all, when they ate? They hid They didn't want to have fellowship with God anymore. What happened? They were walking with God every single day of their lives in the cool of the evening. We are good with God from the very beginning. He created us. He created this garden. He put us in here. He gave us purpose. He gave us meaning. We have this great relationship. But all of a sudden, when they disobeyed Him and decided to go their own way, oh, now I'm going to hide from God. I can't have fellowship with God anymore. And then God goes, where'd you go? Why are you hiding? You ate from the tree, didn't you? Why did you do that? Now there's this separation. You've caused this separation. And we do the very same thing. We decide we're going to do it our way. And then we're separated from God and we wonder why. And God so desperately wants to bring us back. And John is saying, he has brought us back. Don't forget that. He has brought you back through Jesus' life. And then he says, so the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Boasting of what one has and does. Bragging about one's lifestyle. Have you ever seen somebody do this on uh, Facebook? That's not their house. Is that their house? Hey, did you see that picture? Is that their house? That's not even theirs, is it? And we think about that, but people brag. This is someone who arrogantly boasts about what they have, what they have done, or what they've obtained, and they're always talking about that. And you just, you know, you can, somebody bragging, like, oh, here they come. They're going to tell you how important they are. It's like, ah. We understand that, and it, it bothers us. But they fail to acknowledge any dependence on others who have gotten that them to that point. They fail to acknowledge the people who have gotten there and they fail most importantly to acknowledge God who has either given them that or given them the ability to have that. They have an attitude of elitism. And Jesus in the parable of the rich fool says, hey, this guy's going, hey, look at all these barns I have built. I have all these riches around me. I'm going to tear down my existing barns and I'm going to build new ones and I'm going to store up all these things that I have worked so hard for and I'm going to sit back, eat, drink and be merry. And Jesus said, God's going to call you fool. Your life will now be required of you tonight. You thought you had. Now what are you going to do with all that stuff? 
That's the kind of things that's deceiving the pride of life. But I want to give you some good news. Like I'll give you some bad news, and I'm going to give you some good news. So I think it was a guy named um, Derek Dietrich, is a, a, a baseball player for the Cincinnati Reds. And this week he hit three home runs in one game. Did anybody see this, if you're a baseball fan? All right. I wanted to I, – I think it was against the Pirates – but every time he hit a home run, y'all, he did the bat flip. And if you're, if you're a baseball player, you know, you don't do that. You just show up. And he flipped the bat, and he just was so arrogant running around the bases. Like, they're going to throw at your head next time. <laughs> Second time up, he did the same thing. And then I think the third time, he did one of these kind of deals as he started to run. And I was like, man, I cannot believe this guy is so arrogant. I would give anything to be a major league player, and I wouldn't have that attitude. But I just thought, that is so grating. And I bet the next time they play the Pirates, he's going to get hit. And if I was pitching, well, anyway, I won't go there. But anyway. (laughs) But it just, y'all know what I'm talking about. When we see that kind of arrogance, and that's what John's talking about, not acknowledging that there were coaches, there were parents there's a God-given ability that you have, and you shouldn't be doing that. You should be... Th- and then on the other side, I had somebody come up after the second service. He goes, yeah, I liked your sermon, but you should have said this. And so I'm saying what he told me. Austin Riley for the Braves. Have y'all seen this young man? Young guy, he is doing tremendously, but you see this humility in him. And I, and I love to see that from a young player. He realizes I've got off to an amazing start. He's already hit, what, eight home runs, I think, um, in just uh, you know, a month. Just uh, amazing. But you don't see that arrogance in him because he realizes, hopefully, that, hey, this has come from coaches. This is an ability that God's giving. Another special story that I heard this week, and I, um, I see Joe and Carolyn Strack there. Um, uh, Carolyn had surgery this week, and, and I went up to uh, see them on Tuesday at the hospital afterwards. And um, the doctor came in while I was there, and they were gracious enough to let me meet the doctor, and he was a nice guy. And he was just saying, hey, everything went well. You did great. Surgery went well. We're really happy the way things. And Carolyn said, you're a miracle worker, or, or, or Joe, I can't remember which, but he said this, y'all. He says, oh, no, I'm not a miracle worker, but I work for the miracle worker. Now, I was so impressed with that, y'all, because here's a doctor who is brilliant. I mean, just to get through med school, y'all, anybody's ever been there, that's, that's an amazing thing. But he recognizes that his giftedness all his experience in being a doctor, a surgeon, is ultimately comes from God, and he was giving God credit. I was so encouraged by that, and I, and I know they were as well. And we need to see more things, and that's what John is saying. We can't live that kind of life. John is making clear to you and I, just like the first century Christians, that those three things he's talking about, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, this bragging about things that we have like we've done all this, he says those are not things that come from the Father. They don't characterize people who are Jesus followers, so don't do that. They come from the world or this sin or this worldview which aggressively opposes God or His Word. And John says these desires for what the world says is important and that it matters. He says, you think that's important right now, but ultimately that will pass away. You think all these people are going to think you're great right now. But here's the deal. As soon as um, Derek Dietrich strikes out a couple, uh, three times in one game, guess what? Does anybody care anymore? No, get rid of him. Let's get the next guy in there. That's how fleeting this can be. And that's why we have to watch how we act. He says, these things that you think the world tells you are so important. And, and I, get, I feel for you young people because you have it on your phone all the time, in your face. This is what matters. This is what's matter. This is who's cool. And you have to be like this. And if you're not like this, there's something wrong with you. And I'm so sick of seeing people take selfies. I'm so tired of seeing my daughters do this. 
I don't like that one. Do it again. I don't like that one. I don't like that. God loves you the way you are. And I'm not making fun of my daughters, but it just it hurts my heart to know that we live in a world where the world says that what, that's what matters, how good you look in a picture. But guess what? You wake up in the morning and you look awful. That's the reality of the world, but God still loves you. You still matter even when you look ugly. And you're going to get old and wrinkled and all that, you know? It's another reason against tattoos. You know, they'll get really saggy one day. You know? But anyway, I, I worry about that. And John is saying those things will pass away. They'll consume you. They'll take on your focus, your time, and your efforts. And guess what? They will make you turn away from God. They'll make you want to hide from God. They'll make you not want to have fellowship with God. And that's not something we want to do. And that's what John's trying to say. Look, don't let that happen. Ravi Zacharias, and I've quoted this to y'all before, but I think it's so appropriate here. He said, the loneliest moment in life is when you have experienced that which you have lusted for, which you thought would bring you the ultimate in life. And then you experience it, and you're left even emptier than before. And that's what happens when we go after the things of the world. doesn't mean the world's evil, y'all. That's not what I'm saying. But when we try to say that that comes above, that approval is more important than God's approval, then we're missing the mark. And at the end, John reminds his readers, whoever does the will of God, he will live forever. Why? Why? Because they not only believe God and His Word, but they do His will. There's no reason to hide for God when you're walking in the light with God, is there? I'm walking in the clear light. Everything is illuminated. God can see everything about my life. I don't have anything to hide. So I'm walking with God. I'm doing His will. There's no reason to hide. There's no loss of fellowship because God is holding me accountable. He knows what I'm doing. I know what He's called me to do, and I'm doing that. And Christ brought a completely new value system into the world through His life and His death and His resurrection. He says it's not that old covenant of trying to earn keeping the law because you can't. It's accepting grace and being walking in the light with Him. And He gives us the power to live by that. So why live by an old value system that has proven to be deceptive and a failure? But I still see people, and I, I, I was getting on to young people, y'all, but some of us are adults, and we still act like we're in high school. We're still trying to impress those people that are in high school. That's why you put some of the things you put on Facebook. Because you're still trying to impress those people. Well, I'm, I'm finally going to make it. I was a nerd in high school, but not anymore. I've reached it. Stop. Stop. So today we need to ask ourselves, is there a part of our life that's in the darkness that needs to be illuminated? Is this keeping you? Is there something I'm doing in my life? Is there something you're doing in your life that nobody else knows about it? Maybe your wife, maybe your kids, maybe your boss doesn't know about it. But you know what? It's keeping you in the dark and it's keeping you from having true fellowship with God. And it's pushing you away from God. Maybe you need to have that illuminated. Expose it, confess it, repent of it, and renew that fellowship with God. Bring it out in the light and say, God, you know I've been doing this. I, I'm, I'm going to say I confess it, I'm going to repent of it, and I'm going to move forward. Or maybe during this whole sermon and this teaching, you've been consumed with thinking about the desires of the flesh and of your eyes. Some of you are going, is he done yet? What, what is he talking about? Because you know what? You were so consumed right now Think about what you were going to do after church or what you were going to buy next or what you were going to do next to make yourself look better that you haven't heard anything I've said this morning. I hope that's not anybody in here. But probably that's how the worldview of self can creep in in our lives. Have you been thinking about how those things that you can get or obtain will boost your status in the world and how people will view you if you have them? Stop. 
Recognize you are valuable for who you are. And that's what John is saying. Don't be worried more about fellowship with the world than you are fellowship with God. And be around people that come and walk in the light together so it's always illuminated. You see my sins, I see your sins, and we can help each other with that. But not in the darkness where we hide these things from each other. God did not come into the world to what? Condemn the world, but to what? Save the world. And he's done that, y'all. That's the good news of the gospel, that he has saved us. Now let's live like it. Let's live like it. Let's walk in the light as he is in the light. And that's what John is calling us to do. So John finally got that in his life, and he's encouraging those first century Christians, and he's encouraging us to do that today. So this morning, I want to encourage you, maybe there's somebody here today that has been, has been walking in the darkness. You care more about what the world thinks than you do what God really thinks about you. Don't feel guilt and shame about that. Feel a sense of, I want to be unchained from that, and I want to come to God who knows exactly where I've been, but he wants to take me to where he's always wanted me to be. So we offer that invitation this morning to name Jesus as your Lord and Savior and start walking in the light.